Amen. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 15. We're going to go back. We're going to conclude the series that we we began above the chaos and into the kingdom. And uh, and so we've talked about things about a peace in Christ that's really beyond all comprehension. We've we've talked about uh, repentance and turning back to the Lord, and that repentance is entrance into the kingdom. And we we talked about faith about how we need a faith that's willing to confront fear and the facts at times. And because uh, sometimes you got to do both. Amen. You got to confront fear and you got to con- confront the facts because sometimes the facts are ugly and they're a reality. Amen. And so we've been kind of in this, what I would consider to be a very exhortive, prophetic, evangelistic kind of vein. And I just really felt that I wanted to shift gears today. And, um, and my hope and prayer is that by the time we leave here this morning, that you would sense and know the stabilizing force and power of the love of God. Amen. That we would find ourselves rooted and grounded in his love today in a fresh way. And so the title of today's sermon is this, The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place. John 15 verse 1 says this. I'm the true vine, and this is Jesus speaking here. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let's pray. Father, I ask, King Jesus, I ask that your word would be made alive to us or that the power of your truth and the power of your gospel, Lord, would just open us up from the inside out that we might behold you and see you, King Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We long to hear from you today, King Jesus. In Christ's name that we pray, amen. You know, typically whenever you hear this passage of Jesus talking about vines and and vine dressers and fruit, you know, and growing up and hearing this story a lot or hearing Jesus talk about this, I kind of have this image of Jesus as like Mr. Rogers walking us through the fruit section at the grocery store. (laughs) And in the background, the music by Michael W. Smith playing, and friends are friends forever. It's kind of this like nostalgic kind of romantic imagery that lived in my mind and kind of you give the warm fuzzies. But that was not this night. Matter of fact, John 15 is in the middle of his final conversation with the disciples. And it was an intense night. It was the night before he was to be arrested and suffer and die on the cross. That was this night. 
And a lot of times we don't, we can't really wrap our minds or hearts around it. We can't really contextualize it without a good illustration. And so I'm going to throw one on you and hopefully we're going to get there. But in order to kind of contextualize and to, to really get, grab the idea of this moment and the intensity of this moment, I want you to think about Benghazi, Libya, 9-11, 2012. Now, for those of you who, who don't know about that, that was when our American embassy was attacked in Benghazi. Our U.S. ambassador had consistently asked for help but received no response. So he and his, his co-workers and, and a special military unit, they were there together, but they were surrounded by militants. And so the intensity for our embassy, that intensity was growing and growing and it was building for days on end. And, and the ambassador knew something was about to happen, but still no help until 9-11, 2012. A day of remembrance for Americans, but a holiday for these militants. Right? Remember 9-11, 2001. And so this was an intense night of waiting. They knew they were going to be overtaxed. They, they knew that they were going to be overran. They, they didn't have enough defenses. They didn't have enough help. A ruthless enemy was coming. And sadly, lives, lives were lost, including the ambassador. But without the heroism of a, of a brave few, many more would have been lost. And so that, that night for the disciples was like their Benghazi. They were confused. An enemy was coming. They knew they were surrounded. They knew they were hated. They knew that they were not welcome in their, in their own land. And they were trapped with the ambassador of heaven. They were not, they were not at the grocery store. <laughs> they were in a warrior's huddle. And they were listening to the commander-in-chief give instructions on life. And so while hiding, he's talking to them about abiding in him and bearing fruit. You know, if I'm thinking about final conversations, I'm not thinking about fruit. I very rarely think about fruit anyways. But see, they were surrounded and his life was under threat. And he's, and he's downloading this big secret and he's talking about abiding in him. Can you now kind of contextualize what's happening here now? You kind of see this? And so now he's talking about abiding. And so there must be more to abiding than what we see at first. And so here's the big idea for this morning. Abiding is hiding in God's love. Abiding is hiding in God's love. That's right. <laughs> and skip on down to verse 9. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So if you keep my commands, 
you're going to stay in my love. How many of you have ever experienced a manipulative relationship? I will if you will. Right? You got those user relationships, right? Now, whenever you read this scripture at first glance, it almost appears as though Jesus is saying, I will love you if you do what I say. As though he has made his love conditional. But see, here's the thing. Our relationship with Christ is never manipulative, yet he asks us to obey and live in his love. As he obeyed the Father and lives in his love, he's asking us to now obey his commands and live in his love. See, he is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done and, by the way, has done perfectly. In order, in order to have a manipulative relationship, it requires two needy individuals. Oh, I'm messing with folks now. Nobody wants to hear that. See, a healthy person that has their needs met does not manipulate nor is manipulated. And see, the father, the father doesn't manipulate. See, he would have to be a needy being in order to manipulate us. He does not need, well, now hear me now, he doesn't need your obedience to feel better about himself. He's not, he's not in need or in lack to cause him in any way that would cause him to control or manipulate. But I tell you what's happening here is Jesus is revealing a way of life that is much higher than that. So check this out. Remember, this is Benghazi for them. This is the last talk before the cross. And Jesus, Jesus is having this warrior's huddle and he's getting to some bottom lines while, while the enemy is approaching and while huddled together, he's saying, here's the secret, guys. Here's the big secret for your life. As you walked with me, as you lived with me, and if you saw amazing things done through my life, I want you to know there's no manipulation here in what I'm about to tell you, but the real big secret here to all of this is obey my commands. And see, when you obey, you hide in the Father's love. Obedience hides you in God's love. When you disobey, you put yourself in a very vulnerable and precarious situation. See, check this out. Performing for God's approval is not the same as obedience. Those are two different things. See, performing for God's approval is actually based in fear of his disapproval. You see, whenever I step into anxious toil and I'm trying to perform for God, I've actually stepped out of love-based obedience and I have stepped into fear-based performance. Two different things, right? Obedience is worship. Obedience is love expressed to the Father. Obedience is love expressed to Christ See, whenever, whenever I obey, I'm surrendering to the divine order of creation. 
See, creation always functions best when it's under his command and rule. You are a part of his creation, right? Whenever I obey his commands, I am operating and living in my life in such a way that is going to be the best for my life. Amen? Amen. I remember one of the first prophetic words ever given to me was Psalm 103, verse 7. Psalm 103, verse 7 says this. God made his acts known unto the children of Israel, but he revealed his ways to Moses. So in other words, the children, the children of Israel were really interested in what God would do for them. God had invited them to come up the mountain and to get to know him and to come into that place of intimacy. He said, come up to the mountain. And they were like, no, Moses, you go for us. But Moses got acquainted with the ways of God, was invited into a place of intimacy. And scripture says that they spoke to one another as friends. You see, it's one thing just to live in this place of just interested in what God can do for you as opposed to coming into that intimate place and knowing his ways and being intimate with him to know the Lord and to know his heart. The over here is the casual believer. I'm interested in what he's going to do for me. I'm interested in his goodness. I'm going to tell you, God primarily relates to you through his goodness, whether you see it or not. And when God doesn't perform for you, you get a little angry with him. But then over here is this other side where, God, I want to know your ways. And whenever I begin to live in his ways, his favor fills my life. Abiding is hiding in God's love. Verse 9, let's look at that again. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So before Jesus mentioned anything about obeying his commands, he first says this, as the Father loved me with that same love, I love you. You know, the truth is, is that we have little power to obey until we have first received his love. We have little power to obey in our own strength until we have experienced that awesome love of Christ. And then from that place of experiencing the love of Christ, there is now the power to obey an act of worship to him. Your level of obedience is directly related to the revelation you have of his love. Now think about the way he defines his love for us. With the love the father has for him. Jesus says, the love that I love you with is the same kind of love that the Father has for me. Jesus is saying, I love you 
like the Father loves me. So how big is that love that exists between the Father and Jesus? And you think about this for a moment. So like Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. They had, they've been together for eternity. Their love is not only ancient, it's eternal. Their love has no beginning and no end. They created worlds together. They saw mankind grow up among them. Their love is ancient, timeless, perfect, no sin, no weakness, no neediness or manipulation, absolute perfection in that love. Now, if you can imagine that eternal love between Jesus and the Father that happens between the two of them, now you are apprehended and placed right in the middle of that love. Are you with me this morning? How great is the Father's love for us? I was thinking about this, that whenever Aaron and I first got married, one of our, or I'm sorry, when we, were, when we were dating, I took her out on a date and we went into the south part of Houston. She was living in Wharton, Texas, and we drove up to, to uh, this little restaurant. I can't even remember the name of the restaurant. I wanted to impress her. But anyhow, so like, <laughs> so like a one-way, there's like six lanes of traffic going one way. And then there were six lanes of traffic going this way. And we were driving in her little Toyota Corolla four-cylinder. And everywhere you went, it was like a speedboat is the way that sounded. I mean, it was awesome. (laughs) And so like you had kind of, even though it wasn't going all of that fast, the noise just made you feel like you were, you know, and you were so close to the ground, you know, like three inches off the ground. (laughs) And so like, so as we were flying through there and I was jumping three or four lanes at a time, just going as fast as possible. Aaron's, you know, a nervous wreck, but I'm having a blast because this is like NASCAR. Gene, you can relate, right? And so, and so here, but, but it was intense and awesome, you know? And so can you just kind of picture that highway of like all of these cars going this way and all of these cars coming back this way? That is a dangerous path, Okay. How many of you would like to cross a street like that on foot? Okay, now I want you to picture this in your mind. Imagine that those six lanes going back and forth, that Jesus is on one end and the Father is on the other end, and that's like love bombs going back and forth. Instead of like hunk, instead of like cars, it's like this big hunks of, of God's love for, and Jesus' love going back and forth. Okay, are you with me? Now imagine the father picks you up and sets you right down on that highway. And all of those love bombs are just going back and forth like that. And he invites you to live on the love bomb highway. (laughs) That's an intense picture, isn't it? I want you to know, and you could probably relate to this, that when when times are good, That love bomb highway is probably pretty easy to connect to. But when times are dark, that seems like a pretty far removed experience. But the the disciples were at Benghazi, so to speak, in a warrior's huddle, in a losing battle. And it's hard sometimes to connect to God's love in a dark time, but I want you to know 
that would not be the testimony of Corey Tinboom. I want to, I want I want to read a little bit of her experience and then a quote from her. That this would not be Corey Tinboom's testimony. In her latter years, she traveled with Billy Graham giving her testimony. As a young woman, she, her sister, and her father during World War II helped smuggle Jews out of the Netherlands to escape the Nazis. And they helped over, over 800 Jews that were hiding in what they called the hiding place in their home. They had a, a place that was built with a false wall and they would hide people inside of it. And the front of their home was a, posed as a, as a clock shop. But eventually they were found out. But they helped, they helped 800 Jews escape. Eventually she and her family were caught and put into concentration camps. Immediately they were separated from her father and she and her sister were together in Camp Ravensbrück. Her sister during that dark time demonstrated amazing faith and amazing love, reaching others with God's love. Not Corey though, she was angry about their situation. Her sister actually led many to Christ until eventually she died. Broken as Corey was, the ladies looked to her for her to continue to lead them in the ways of God all while in a concentration camp. At first, she was too angry and didn't want to accept this responsibility, but the love of God kept breaking through to her until eventually she took on that responsibility. Later, due to a clerical error, she got an early release from that camp. And I want to read to you what her quote was from this experience. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. A woman who is in the probably one of the darkest places imaginable in the history of earth has this incredible revelation that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. When we talk about rising above the chaos, it doesn't mean that the chaos goes away, but it does mean that no matter the level of darkness, that there's always a hiding place in the love of God. Abiding is hiding in God's love. How about this? How can I practice abiding in God's love? Let's get practical. How can I actually practice abiding in God's love? Obviously, obedience is one, and we've talked about numerous times about worship and, and prayer and reading the Word, and those are places that you should establish yourself in, right? If you want to learn to abide, you got to get established in those areas. But this morning, I kind of wanted to expand on that. The two disciplines for abiding with Christ, kind of beyond those basics, okay? So I'm not saying not those basics, Right? Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? You should read God's word. You should worship and pray. Those should be understood, okay? You should obey the Lord. But here's two disciplines for abiding with Christ. Number one, the discipline of silence. See, we have so much noise going on in our life, right? Multimedia, probably more than ever. And even at, at times for those of us who actually practice prayer, we got our music going, we got a teaching going, and all of these things which are good. But the, they can also distract us from tuning in to the still small voice of our Father. 
And here's how this works to, to practice the discipline of silence. I'm giving you a very gen generic description. But it's find a, find a quiet place to be alone. No screens, no noise. And while you are sitting there, you know what your next fight is going to be? Your racing thoughts. There's, there's, so here's some wisdom in this. You will quickly see all of the things that you're worried about. If you cannot sit in silence because of all of the activity, everything that you worry about gets highlighted. And so you haven't even started silence, the practice of discipline. Now you got to deal with this, all this junk going on in your mind. And then you say, Lord, you have to go, you have to take that busyness of thought to the Lord. Lord, I'm handing this to you right now. I'm letting go right now, even if it's only for 10 minutes, okay? That's all I can, I, maybe five minutes. Five minutes might be a great goal, but, but I'm gonna hand over all of the busyness of my mind to you. And then you, you counteract that with one thought. Lord, you are with me. You are not far, you are here. Your presence is all around me. You live inside of me. You are with me. You are all around me. I'm never alone. You are here right now in this moment. And so the discipline of silence is that you have that you replace all of those thoughts with this one thought. You are here. That makes sense to you? So after I've gone through all of that noise in my mind and I've handed off all of those things, you're here. And a lot of times you don't lift up a request. You don't, you don't, you just sit in the silence and enjoy his presence. A lot of, a lot of the uh, men, men and women of God who have gone on to be with the Lord, we would talk about the immediate sense of peace that they could find just by the awareness of just tuning in, God, you are here now. They learned the art of abiding with Christ even in the middle of chaos. And here's the second discipline. And I think you're all going to like this discipline. The discipline of rest. On the seventh day, God rested. God instituted a day of rest for mankind. We are not designed to go and go without rest. Sometimes you can be getting eight hours of sleep and still not be rested. You know, see, committing to a Sabbath rest is a biblical principle to be honored. See, Pastor Robert Morris, I, I like a lot of the things that he teaches, and he tells this story of a pastor who is on his deathbed about to die, and, uh, and he was going like, and this pastor was crying out to the Lord, Lord, why are you doing this to me? I've served you, I've given, I've done, I've served you, I've given, I've done all of this. And he's going, what's up with this, God? You know, why are you, why, why are you doing this to me? And, and the Lord spoke back to him. He's like, I'm not doing this to you. You did it to yourself. You've not honored the Sabbath. Now, he, this wasn't a, like a legalistic conversation this is basically the Lord saying, you're not taking care of yourself. Because the Sabbath is not for God, it's for man. Jesus said that. That a day of rest actually pours back into your 
your psychology, who you are as a person, it pours back into you. So just, just this week, you want to know what I did for a rest? I drove a tractor and ran a front end loader because, because many times rest is play. Go have fun, right? And so, man, I can't tell you how running a tractor and working a front end loader, God ministered to me. You're like, well, preacher, you didn't do any work for God. And God's going, that's the point. (laughs) Because God is pleased when we take care of ourselves. That actually honors him. Amen. Now let me close. The discipline of silence and the discipline of rest. Corey Timboom, she wrote a book about her life story during that particular season. It was called The Hiding Place. How many of you have read it? Seen the movie? I would encourage you. That, that was, it's an older movie, but it's, man. Whew. But in, their story, in her story, there's actually two hiding places. There was the hiding place in their home that delivered 800 Jews, and then there was the hiding place of God's love and the presence of great evil. So the disciples were gathered together at at that intense night with the enemy closing in on them. And Jesus was teaching them about the hiding place, which is the abiding place, abiding in his love. He goes on to describe how abiding in Christ, how abiding in Jesus is the secret to your growth as a disciple It's the secret to your breakthrough. It's the secret to your friendship with God. Abiding in Christ is the secret to your maturity with the Lord. Abiding in him is the secret. So here's the thing. We all are invited in to this hiding place with Christ where it's only you and him. And Jesus prays that like this, that I would be in you and you would be in me and we would be in the Father. And you are invited into this super highway that's filled with all of these love bombs, this ancient highway, this ancient path that is just filled with the love of God. How would your life be different if you knew you were loved perfectly? If you perfectly knew you were loved? Anybody want a revelation of God's love for them? I think it would change everything. Amen? Let's all stand. Typically, I would have the altar team come up and pray for people and lay on hands, but that's that's something we're going to have to wait on. (laughs) But this morning, there were three themes that were on my heart. That we would actually awaken to his love. Because his love is headed at you. 
but that we would awake to his love and, and maybe two, that there's some things that we need to obey. And then thirdly, that we'd be just absolutely rooted and grounded in his love. And I think I might put my wife on the spot a little bit, but she had this word today about beauty for ashes. And so I think probably the way God wants to minister some love to us is that God wants to do an exchange here, give beauty for ashes, but she'll come up and pray for that here in just a moment. But I'm gonna, but I'm gonna start right here with this one. So if you just bow your head and close your eyes without looking around at anyone. And if you were just to be honest before God and be honest with me, my goal is not to embarrass or make a spectacle out of anyone. I never want to do that. But if you would be bold enough, just to, if you were to say, I struggle knowing that God loves me, would you just lift your hand? I just struggle knowing that God loves me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, all over the room. All over the room. So now I just want to pray over you right now. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, right now, in all of the places, Lord, we've, where we feel like we failed you, where we feel like we were just not enough, that we weren't strong enough, we weren't brave enough, we didn't do the right thing, or we're not doing enough. Lord, I pray, Father, for all of that chaotic message to leave, Lord, right now. And I just declare over you that absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, right now, I just declare the love of God over each and every person. Pray, Father, just for a revelation of God's great love at the cross his great love for every part of your life. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. His love is all around you. You cannot be separated from his love. He loves you better than any father. He's watched over your life from the beginning. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And secondly, so like though there's a place where, where God has been asking you to obey, there's been something that you've needed to obey and you haven't followed through yet, and you know what it is, just by a means of confession, no eyes looking around, every, but if you have something that you are needing to obey, just with real some boldness right here, just slip your hand up and go like, there's something that I've not been obeying. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Lord sees that confession. And so, God, I thank you, Lord, for these bold individuals, Lord, that, that, Lord, that they know that you've given them something to obey and they haven't done it. And what I want you to do right now, if you raise your hand, I just want you to silently confess that to the Lord. Just confess that to Jesus. Hey, Lord, I'm sorry. And so, Lord, these hearts that have confessed, Lord, I declare over them a fresh start in being established in love. Lord, may we all, Lord, 
be rooted and grounded in your love. Lord, I just declare God right now, Lord, a fresh start, a fresh start. And the Lord invites you to obedience, not to prove anything, but to obey as worship and love. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Aaron, did you have? Yeah. Vocal too, I think. During worship, um, I just felt like the Lord was saying that he wanted to heal hearts in the place of regrets. Um, sometimes we can just keep our regrets before our memories in front of our minds, and um, that can... That's a wound when we carry regrets. And I just felt like the Lord was saying that he wanted us to lift our regrets to him and give those to him and quit living with them and quit holding them before ourselves. Because he's such a good God. He doesn't just save our souls from hell. He gives us beauty for ashes. He gives us joy for mourning and strength for despair. So Right now, if there's anything that's been on your heart and mine, or you know that you have a place where you just carry regret all the time. So I just ask if you would just hold your hands out to the Lord. Put that regret in your hands. Those ashes of your life of wrong choices, things you wish you had done differently, choices you wish you hadn't made. Those are ashes. And so now I just want to invite the wind of the Holy Spirit just to blow those away. To be gone. So come, Holy Spirit. Lord, you just take our regrets and you remove them. You blow them away with your Holy Spirit. Lord, you leave us clean, whole. I just ask that you come right now with your love in that place where that regret was sitting on hearts, God, that you would just be a healing balm in that place, that you would take those things from us and restore beauty. You are the God who works everything together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So we believe you on that, God. We trust you, God. We believe you, that you are restoring our heart, that you are healing us and working everything together for good in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so here, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to ask Jason and Aaron to stand up here at the front. And um, so if you are want a fresh start with Jesus or you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you want to ask Jesus to become your Lord and you're wanting a fresh start today, I want to encourage you to come and talk to my wife or Jason, who's associate pastor here. Um, come and talk to one of these guys if you're wanting to begin that new relationship with Christ. I'm telling you, the love of God is wide open for you today. Amen? Amen. And so, Father, I thank you for this day and the richness of your kingdom. God, we love you. We celebrate who you are. You are an amazing God. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.